0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nexus Pro. Nexus Pro is an annual or monthly subscription where members get exclusive writing, podcasts, and invites to members-only Zoom gatherings. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexislabs.online. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Nexus Podcast. Episode 41 is a conversation with Anand Machiri founder and CEO of Invocara. We talked about digital twins today, building on past podcast episodes on this murky topic. Anand and I did a rapid fire round of defining and myth-busting common points of confusion with twinning. Then we took a bit of a deep dive into Invecara's approach to digital twins, and I haven't heard anyone else approaching it quite like they are. Without further ado, please enjoy Nexus Podcast episode 41. All right, hello Anand, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself for us?
1: Thank you, James. Pleasure to be with you here today. Uh, Anand Mecheri, founder and CEO of uh, Invikara, a software company. My history is I've been in the in the smart buildings world for 30 years nearly, built businesses around solution services products, sold all my past businesses to Siemens and started Invicara. Invikara.
0: Cool. I didn't know this. Can you tell me more about these companies that you sold to Siemens? Yeah.
1: So, I started my life back in uh, 88, 89 uh, as, a, as a system integrator, installer of, of security systems back uh, back in India, India at that time. Uh, built up over the next 10, 12 years, India's largest system integration business around security, safety, building automation, energy management, and all that good stuff. 2003 acquired an Irish, British company, technology company, and we built the industry's first. IP-based platform for security management, which was our claim to fame. We were very successful with that, and uh, very aspirational for for the industry. In two thousand five, yeah. So for a combination of reasons, um, as the market leader, as the system integrator in India, uh, and the first players to have this technology on the on the ground, we were sought after, and uh, we accepted an offer from Siemens sold the business to them and then transitioned into a global leadership position in the Siemens uh, Building Technologies Global Headquarters in Switzerland. to 2011, 2012 is when I came across BIM and the, and the potential it represented for transforming, you know, the building industry or the built environment. Took that as the as my next venture and started from there, 2013,
0: 2014. Got it. And what was the company called that Siemens acquired? So
1: the, the group was called IMetrics. It had several pieces within that. The Irish-British company, which, uh, which was the technology part, was called Europlex Technologies. Okay. Uh, and, and the system integration business in India was called DATS, D-A-T-S.
0: Okay. And the acquisition is what led you to... You're in Dublin now. Is that what led you to, to Ireland?
1: Uh, well, the acquisition led me to Switzerland initially as part of the global headquarters of Siemens. Mm-hmm. Building technologies. Okay. Uh, I was working for the global CEO. Um, and then after I spent some time there, I actually moved to Singapore. I, I thought oh, I'd be okay. in Singapore for building up this venture. And I realized that it was very difficult to build a global business sitting in one end of the world. Uh, so I chose the GMT uh, and a familiar, familiar country as an island that had businesses here in the past. So I picked Dublin and uh, relocated here in 2016.
0: Very cool. All right. Um, well, we're going to get into Invercara in a little bit. Can you humor me and answer my favorite question uh, so the listeners know that this this question gets asked every time? So it'll be really new to you. So I'm curious what your unique perspective is, but why do you think that the technology in buildings, given your history, why is the technology in buildings so far behind, say the tech in our pockets or the technology elsewhere? I'd be lying
1: if I, t- if I told you I haven't thought about it.
0: <laughs> it, <laughs> it, is, it is it is the
1: industry's uh, you know darkest challenge in a way. I would say if I were to really be crisp about it, I would say misalignment between investment and returns. Hmm. If yeah. I, were to, I were to really point to something very specific, the developer has to invest in technology which will benefit in fact, the, uh, the designer is to invest in technology that will benefit the contractor and, or, and many people in between QSs and all the others, ultimately benefiting the operator. So why am I picking up somebody else's tab? Why am I doing anything more than what I need to do to fulfill my contract? There's all of these things. And unlike manufacturing, where the end-to-end tool chain is fully aligned, the designer is also the long-term value creator. It's just so much more homogeneous, you know, the nature of how things get done. Building industry is so heterogeneous. Uh, we design something, build it once, and put together a team who don't come together again. Uh, different processes, tools, name it. I mean, there's every reason why it is it is so. But I think the main point is that the investment
0: and returns are not well aligned. Totally. Yeah, I like that. I, I call it, I'm developing out some lessons for the course that I teach and I, I call it, we, we come together and then we disperse and we come together and then we disperse. And there are so many different, it could be a day in the life of the building where different occupants are coming together and dispersing, or it could be obviously, like you said, the phases of construction to operations to demolition, we're all always coming together and dispersing. Right. Cool. Let's talk about uh, Invecari. So you said sometime around 2011, 2012, you started thinking about BIM. How did the company get started? And can you take us through up yeah. through from that to today?
1: Certainly. So yeah, I was initially, when I was uh, working in Siemens headquarters, and that's when some of the future technologies were looked at and as part of these forums and came across BIM and was completely fascinated by what that represented uh, and the potential it had to transforming operations. And then I decided when I left Siemens with this pretty clear mission that I'm going to uh, spend time to study and understand what that space is and what can be done with it from a digital standpoint. Um, Honestly, I was very quickly disappointed to once, once I realized there was a huge gap between the promise and the reality of BIM. Um, And rather than, you know, giving it, giving it up at that stage, I realized that there was also the opportunity. So if we could really, help create value in, in transforming BIM into something meaningful downstream, then there was uh, success to be made. Uh, and the reality of that was BIM was, is still largely used for drawing production, right? It's used for coordination, clash detection and drawing production. Data workflows are, are little understood. And even if understood is not practiced because it is, it is nuanced. And, and unless it is well-specified and, and managed, it doesn't get done. Um, and that's really the problem we started solving. We said we, we thought we should solve the data problem in BIM hmm. and enable models to be machine readable, not just human readable, not just geometry focused. So we built some tools to to drive that uh, data focused uh, approach to transforming design information into, into uh, downstream use.
0: Can you give an example real quick of what you mean by like the problem you were trying to solve there, like a specific one?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so for example, if you look at uh, how the how models are produced, right, so a design team is contracted to produce construction documentation for procurement, right, so right. They, in the end they produce a set of coordinated drawings from where the quantity surveyors are going to take off the quantities and to do a procurement job. So for the design team, it is highly beneficial to use BIM because it improves their productivity, uh, it just makes their design production so much faster. Okay. Uh, but model production for generating drawings is very different from model production for a data workflow. And the very simple example of that is classification. Uh, the content of a model is defined by the classification uh, that is applied to that model. And classification is multifaceted. You would classify a model in a certain way if you want to do cost estimation. You would classify it in a certain way if you want to do product level asset modeling or asset information generation. So these are workflows that the design team will have to take up in order to benefit somebody else, probably Mm. as a donor. And maybe the asset owner is not even in the picture because it's the developer who is involved at that stage. So it's not mandated. It's not done. Consequently, the models end up being just good geometry representations used for coordination and drawing production, and the whole opportunity to drive better outcomes from using data, even during uh, the development phase, such as quantifying from the models, estimating, linking it to programs and schedules. All of that is kind of relegated to somebody else's problem, and, uh, and it moves on. So. Our challenge of making sure that we can use BIM to create digital twins is also uh, a data problem because we have to make sure that the models, even if the models are not the, the repository of information and they should not be, the, the design tools are not designed to be a repository of information. They're designed to express good design intent, but it does need to communicate design information what is the what is in it, uh, where is it, what system is it part of, what is its relationship with something else. Some of the core information that must be in the model should be there and software systems need to understand what is inside those models because you want to bring some automation through the data that's contained within it. So our problem was we have to get the BIM models, uh, those set of tools, workflows to make it possible to consume BIM models easily to produce, uh, I wouldn't say to produce a digital twin, but use it as a seed to build up a digital twin. Okay. But equally, it doesn't have to be starting from a BIM model, obviously, right? I mean, we can also start with a list of assets in, a, in an Excel sheet and start building your twin. So uh, depending on what the opportunity is, if it's a new development and if BIM is being anyway used, the opportunity to make use of that to create a richer, more intuitive and more expressive digital twin is only there to be lost and it is lost if you don't do a good job at that early stage
0: totally cool that's a great example and i was gonna add to it but i feel like you just nailed it so okay so then you went after that problem and then take us through to today on on the company
1: yeah yeah so so that was the starting point and the the mission here was how do we help produce a digital twin that truly represented use cases or truly solved uh, problems in the operational phase of of a building. So we've been building this platform for the last nearly five years to enable customized solutions to be built for the industry. And I say customized simply because we, from the outset, recognized that digital twin solutions are not, it cannot be a product, right? You cannot look at digital twins as a product. Um, every building is different. Every owner is different. Their use cases are different. The way they operate is different. Their business systems are different. Their maintenance teams have different tools and different processes. Their document management is different. So there's so many variables within the built environment that we need to address. We took a view that a successful digital twin strategy is got to be based on a platform that allows us or any other system integrator or a solution provider to create highly customized solutions that takes into account all these variables and provides an outcome that fits to the need of that client or that portfolio. So we've been building this platform for the last nearly five years. And uh, and along the way, uh, as it matured, we've started using the platform ourselves, eating our own dog food. I don't like to use that term. Honestly, I'd like to say drink our own wine maybe but uh, anyway so we've been using using our own tech uh, to consult and implement solutions for our clients and using that process to inform us on what the platform should be and how it should be built and how, what what makes it flexible and what not and uh, so on and so forth adoption challenges we need to address so it's been a very very intense uh, last few years getting informed by the industry by customers and helping us build out the platform as we did
0: Cool. All right. So where are you guys at today? You mentioned providing services to clients. You don't need to get into that, but how many employees do you have and where are you at and what kind of clients do you serve?
1: Sure. We're still a small company. We are about 45 people. Um, We adopted remote as a strategy from day one. So we hire the best talent we can find wherever they are. So we have talent distributed today from Hawaii to Brisbane. So it's been remote by, uh, by strategy. Initially, it was a bit difficult, but we have figured out how to make that work very, very well. Um, So COVID did not affect us at all in terms of how we work, because that's how we always worked. We're tooled for it. Um, Our processes are aligned for that. So yeah, so we are a small company, 45 odd people. We work remote. We are distributed around around the world. We've been engaged with customers in in a few key markets, uh, mainly I would say in Ireland, UK, Singapore, India, and now in the Middle East. So we have been involved in these markets in a very selective basis. Uh, We're involved in multiple building types, commercial buildings, uh, developments, residential, uh, large built-to-rent residential developments, uh, airports, healthcare facilities, uh, biopharma plants, university buildings. So multiple, multiple building types. We're involved in developments aggregating to about 20 plus million square feet right now in various stages of maturity. A few of them are are delivered and some others are in development at this stage.
0: Got it. Cool. So I want to dig into all that, obviously, around what you guys are doing today. But I found that when you talk about digital twins, I think some people can get lost in a lot of the, let's say, finer details around it that I kind of want to hit first and kind of push those details to the side so that we can kind of move the conversation forward from there. So Let's do a rapid fire round here to begin with around these, what I would call myths or different ways that people get confused about digital twins. So first, rapid fire, how do you define it to people that are new?
1: So everyone has a definition and we have one as well. Our definition is that a digital twin at the very core is a data model that represents two things. It represents everything that's built in that environment, could be building or infrastructure. It also represents the data that's produced when the facility is in use. So the confluence of these two data sets produces that rich information model that can be used to drive multiple workflows, multiple applications that result in optimizing equipment life, optimizing maintenance costs, optimizing energy use, uh, improving wellness, all of those downstream benefits. But at the very core, it's really a very expressive data model that can interact and interoperate with other systems that make up the strategy of that client got it and then how is it compared to bim very different i mean this is one of the uh, one of the challenges for the industry right i mean bim is uh, is somehow seen to be a digital twin in its own right and it's not entirely wrong because it is a digital representation of a physical thing and in that respect you can call it a digital twin in, in that respect so there is some truth in it but when you look at the big picture of what a digital twin is, this is the definition that I put put forward a minute ago, it certainly doesn't fit that description in a million miles. Because a, a BIM model or a, a BIM model is a is a bad term, but a model produced from a BIM design tool is really a, is really a design expression in 3D. It is not even a rich information model that has all the data that you need to run the place or Inform the client. It is built for an intent. And in that respect, it is complete. To try and apply that to be a digital twin is an incredible stretch of imagination.
0: Totally. Next one is I heard this just yesterday is I think people get hung up around the sort of energy modeling aspect of digital twins. So they might say, you know, I'm going to pull data out of a building, create a model, and then use that to control the building better or use that to aid in a retrofit design, things like that. Is that what you're talking about or is that a different type of digital twin?
1: No, that's just an aspect of a digital twin. I, I would agree to that because we are also right now working on a project where we are looking to bring the energy model as a reference into the, into the digital twin. And the energy model, by the way, is data, right? It's, it's really mainly data. And you can visualize that data with some heat maps and so on, but in, in the end, it's really data. So an energy model is a simulated outcome based on the location, the weather, the, uh, and so on and so forth, the solar heat gain and so on, occupancy. Uh, And that's a great data point to be made use of in optimizing the performance of an asset. So in the development phase, if you take a BIM model and analyze it and run a simulation on it, get a result, you could say that there is an aspect of a digital twin in the making there. So it's not entirely wrong. Uh, but it is with a limited intent of what that is
0: supposed to serve. Totally. Yeah, I like to say it's like one use case out of, out of all the possible ones. Okay, another thing people get hung up on is deploying it on old buildings. They say, oh, because I don't have a BIM model already, or because I don't have good digital information about the building, good metadata, I don't have a data model existing, it must be prohibitively expensive to install a digital twin. You are absolutely correct. There is this perception
1: that a a digital twin must start with the 3D model, and it couldn't be further from the truth, right? I mean, we all know that. uh, So we have this maturity model, and I think I should talk about that. We believe that a digital twin really evolves into its own progressively. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to follow a sequence, okay, just so that I'm not misstating. So in a new development, the way we would approach it is, you start with an understanding of your use cases, start with defining your information requirements to achieve those use cases. You work through the development phase, all of the project information that's getting produced. So that's the project twin, where you have the information coming together, it's getting used for certain purposes, like simulations um, and analysis for design optimization and so on. And then it, as it matures into construction, information that's produced for handover starts coming together. And they all get associative and results in, a, in what we would refer to as an asset twin. An asset twin would be that uh, complete information model, an online digital manual of that facility. So that is a value by itself. And then when you integrate that with the operational data, whether it's the BMS or the uh, IoT systems or fire detection systems or the maintenance systems, the the twin becomes an operations twin, so to say. So in a new development, you can take the sequential approach starting from a definition of use cases and information requirements, maturing it through the process to an asset twin and then an operations twin. It makes sense, right? In that scenario, you can actually gather everything that you need to gather uh, and integrate it in the design process and construction process. But when you go into an existing building, if you take the same approach, you're gonna be in 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 a mess simply because the information that's available in an existing building is nowhere near as complete or granular or accurate as you could get from a new development. So the approach we would take is look at, again, focus on the use cases. Don't try to build this digital manual of this facility. Uh, It's not going to work. It's not going to be complete. It's not going to satisfy anybody. Focus on the problems that you have and, and implement solutions that focus on the problems. Typically, it would be about Ma- managing equipment life or managing energy consumption or improving wellness aspects of that, of that facility that's where the roi really comes from and a digital twin a solution can certainly start by listing out the spaces identifying the systems that make up the spaces the assets that make up those systems and the sensors that inform the performance of those assets and the meters that you know give you the energy consumption so you can build a, a data model to represent that existing facility in the context of the problems you want to solve and go from there and build it out at the portfolio level and progressively as buildings go through renovations and changes start aggregating that asset twin capability or the information Mm -hmm. as we go but the important thing is a portfolio owner needs to have a platform that they can implement at a portfolio-wide basis whether it's a new development or an existing uh, development or existing building and try to create that standardized system of care or operation procedures across the whole portfolio.
0: Love that answer. Well done. <laughs> that's the, the best one I've heard to that one. Uh, yeah, that's great. How about, the? okay, this is the last myth or, or challenge I think people identify. Myth might not be the right term on this one is, it's impossible to keep a digital twin updated. So like the fidelity question.
1: Right, Uh, and it depends what that fidelity addresses. When it comes to data, uh, I think it can be maintained at a very high level, but it needs to be thought about as well. Now, if somebody is going to run a maintenance program, there is a primitive maintenance uh, schedule in place or there is a reactive maintenance program in place and or actions are being taken or some stuff is getting replaced. You've got to define upfront in the data model what information do you really want to collect from every one of those processes hmm. uh, back into the twin. So the twin cannot be seen as something that is you know, that is set up one time and it can't expire in terms of its, of its quality of information and the accuracy of information. So we, what we do is we establish what information do we need to progressively gather and integrate into the twin from operational processes. It could be that the client has uh, their own maintenance systems. It could be that they're employing a number of maintenance contractors and they all have their own systems. Now, either ways, it's important for the client to be able to, especially if they have multiple maintenance contractors and they're using their own systems, it's really important to establish this information exchange requirement that ensures that the client's twin gets the key data that it needs to get back progressively as as these processes are implemented. So maintaining accuracy and updating the data is really not a challenge, right? As long as these, these processes are well thought through, the integrations are in place. If it's manual updates, if somebody has to manually, okay, there is a high risk that it doesn't, in the end, it comes down to the, to the person behind that you know, that process. So the more automation, the better. If it's about updating the geometry, I mean, walls move, rooms change, layouts change, and this is not not untypical these changes are a little bit more involved but very much doable so we have clients actually doing that right now at least one of our clients after the twin was delivered is going through a change in their in their layouts of one of the one of their floors and what they're doing is really you know using the model that was produced for the initial development and issuing it to the to the tenant who is making those changes they are updating the changes into their uh, into their model and the lease requirements in, it also includes the need for the for the tenant to provide the updated model back to the landlord, okay. especially with the changes represented in term. Not only the the, the the internal layouts, but also the the services that connect to the base building. If you add the you know a handler or whatever else that they've included, which connects back to the to the base building, mm-hmm. they are back in the model. And yes, and this new version of that model gets uploaded back into the twin and all the data gets reconnected back to that, the newer model. So within our platform, we support model versioning. Uh, that's exactly the reason why, because you do have to recognize that there's a lot of information getting connected to these, to these representations in that model. And how do we make sure that you know, when that when geometry changes, all of that information is not orphaned and, and reconnected. So we have actually addressed that as a, as a specific uh, functional requirement to, in order to keep these twins Uh, fully updated, not just from a data point of view, but also
0: from a geometry point of view. Love it. Cool. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexislabs.online. All right, back to the interview. So let's let's move on to what you guys are doing today. Um, Can you tell me about the product as it exists today? And I just said product, and I know you earlier said it's not a product. So can you tell us about how you're kind of going to market these days?
1: Absolutely. So as I mentioned earlier, the last few years have been this maturing phase of building the platform, using the platform on specific projects, consulting, implementing solutions ourselves. Uh, That's taken us this far. Our growth and scaling is going to come from a platform getting adopted by others. And Mm -hmm. we have now reached that point where Trinit.io is going to be available to partners, is already available to select partners, who are able to take it and build their own solutions on top of it. And this is in a sense, uh, uh, not unusual. I mean, you have other industries, you have low-code development platforms, which are more horizontal in nature, where you can make use of this low-code platform, build your own app on it, same idea. But the platform Twinit is really built for the, is created for the built environment. It brings together all of the capabilities that you would look for in creating a digital twin end-to-end, whether it is creating custom data models or managing 3D visualization or 2D visualization or integrating IoT and BMS systems and building analytics on it, uh, driving dashboards. So think of it as a kit of parts, essentially a bunch of backend services that we have built over this period, all communicating with each other and communicating with the applications, you know, through APIs, um, low-level APIs, you know, at the backend services level, abstracted to, you know, higher-level REST APIs, uh, which can be used for more easily building applications on top, and including the ability to build applications directly on the platform. So we have created a, uh, essentially, an application framework. Which also includes the TwinIt domain-specific language, the TwinIt DSL, which allows you to script your way through your entire application. So, you essentially, you start by defining, you know, what your data model is, defining your business rules, defining your your you start with your entities. What entities are you managing in the twin, and and you start building the relationships. You know, which entities are related to which other entities, and who can access it, and what actions can they perform on it, and what does it do, and Pretty much the whole solution can be written using the Twinit DSL. It also allows the uh, solution builder to create, uh, so there is a object model uh, REST API service, so they can actually create custom APIs to integrate with external systems. They can write their own connectors, write their own orchestrators to use those connectors to communicate with other systems. So it's it's really a, a very, very extensible it of parts, uh, very flexible, it is schema-less, right? So there is no fixed schema. So you can, you know, one of our developers decided to build his own family's cookbook on it. So he just has a bunch of recipes and, <laughs> you know, it does, it's, it's something as flexible as that. So you can take it and build a solution that meets your business requirement. Of course, we don't going to promote it for somebody to go build a CRM on it, because it's not, it'll fail. Um, it's kind of very focused around all of the backend services and the functionality has been geared to help build a really flexible, powerful, solutions for the built environment. Now somebody could take it and build solutions for the design phase or construction phase, probably right? you, you know, you could publish BIM models into it, multiple model versions. You could extract data from it, uh, do some analytics on it, dashboard it. Somebody may want to do that. We don't do that as in Vikara today, because we've been kind of focused as a company to create a platform that helps operate buildings better and infrastructure better, but it's flexible in that respect. And someone else may say, okay, I'm gonna take all of these backend services and its capabilities, and I'm gonna add my own microservice to it. I have a simulation engine, which I wanna plug into it, or I don't wanna use your analytics. I'm gonna use my own analytics tools. I wanna use my own BI, Uh, fine. I mean, you can use the the platform as a one-stop shop and get your job done pretty quickly and efficiently, Or if you want to be more innovative and and fit it into what you think is more suitable, that's possible too. So we do believe that it is a game-changing, first-of-its-kind platform for the industry today. Uh, We are very bullish and delighted that we've got to this point. It has been our mission to get to this point over the last many years. And yes, so the IP that is created on top of the platform is whoever creates it, it's theirs. And, And they can build bespoke solutions for one customer. Or they could build a repeatable solution a cookie cutter for the same type of infrastructure that goes across multiple sites Um, they could build it just as an asset twin to do the handover uh, a digital handover or they could build an operations twin by integrating uh, you know the iot stuff they may deliver it as a capex model or they may say we build it and we are going to have remote access and use it to run services and help our clients optimize performance Mm that will be another business model for them So our goal here is really to enable the industry with a platform and tools that makes it a lot easier to build solutions and serve their
0: clients. So you've been, for the past, you said five years, working basically one-on-one with building owners and developers, and then now you're saying, okay, we built up this tool set in order to provide those services. Now we're going to open those up for other service providers that can then go out and do that on a bunch of other buildings for their clients. Absolutely. Okay. Yes.
1: And... A lot of time energy and money to get here get here it's not easy not everyone can do this and there's time is a factor of time so we have today a platform that someone can make yourself and get going
0: got it yeah and that sounds really cool to me because i think there are probably as we're speaking right now service providers out there that are building their own platforms that uh yeah that, that are going to be building and solving the same problems that you have solved already so Can you give an analogy of like, it just strikes me as the concept that has probably happened outside of our industry many times. Can you give a couple of analogies of like famous case studies of companies that have done this outside of our industry that that you guys sort of pulled inspiration from?
1: Yeah, there are a few examples, right? I mean, not directly uh, related. So if you look at, you know, a cross industry or a horizontal low-code platform, uh, you have something like Mendix, which is a... Pretty cool platform. Somebody wants to build an application quickly, um, it's all there. All the services are there. So you can quite easily build a solution on top of it and get, okay. get your business problem solved. It also offers a, a, a no-code development environment, which we don't. I mean, in our case, it's, it's not no-code. You still need to, to be able to write the Twinit scripting language, which is something like JavaScript, right? So you need that capability. Okay. That would be one example. If you go back in time and go back to the design world, take AutoCAD. I mean, AutoCAD's success was it's scripting. You could take AutoCAD and do your own thing with it, right? I mean, that is how it became such a powerful platform. Uh, So the ability to enable others to do what they want to do with it to solve their business problem for their customer is, I think, is very powerful. It's not about what we want to do as a company, right? But we have to know what they probably want to do, which is why we've been using the platform and working with clients and understanding the business requirements and, and experiencing that. And otherwise, the platform wouldn't be at the stage that it is today and it's not gonna be tangible and meaningful to many people. Um, but yeah, so it's really about you know enabling others to do what they wanna do, their IP, their branding, their solution, their way of presenting UI. Nothing has to be the same and, and that's the cool part.
0: Yeah, really cool. So can you explain a little bit more around the low code aspect of this? You mentioned JavaScript. Can you, can you go into a little bit more detail on what like a MSI or a service provider would need to you know, sort of scale up on to be able to implement it?
1: Yeah, yeah. so uh, obviously we would have a, a, a program to get them uh, familiarized with uh, the platform architecture, the design concepts involved. And that needs to be understood by a solution architect kind of a person. You're not talking about a senior software architect who designs large backend enterprise systems. You don't need that capability. If you're a really good solution architect, you will be able to understand the concepts behind a platform like this. They would also, the person who builds the solution We'll need to have a good understanding of how to build data models, how to build, uh, you know, understanding of ontologies and uh, understanding of uh, connectors and integration. And of course, the ability to learn the scripting language and apply the scripting language to do these goals. So our objective is that you should be able to build a complete solution with just scripting. If you have a good understanding of the design concepts behind the platform and how your object models are defined and how you build your relationships and how you build your business rules, that is enough to get somebody going and to get a solution
0: built. Okay. Yeah. Something that's kind of striking me in, in certain ways, but not in others, is the similarity to the like the SkySpark model. Are you familiar with that whole yeah. ecosystem and tool set? Is that is that a similar analogy and what would be the differences be
1: oh, it's 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 a it's a good analogy in fact it's actually a, a very very similar approach in in some respects the additional twin is obviously a, a little bit broader in right. terms of the different facets that it needs to handle but the idea is similar you have a set of tools you have a, the, the plumbing is there you know the tool sets are there the language is there you know similar to sky'spark you have a you have a I think it's axon I think which yep. is the so essentially, it's the same idea that you're able to utilize your domain knowledge, your understanding of the customer's business process and, and problems and, and translate your knowledge into a, a monetizable uh, solution that can potentially be uh, a repeatable solution and something that can give you a life cycle revenue, not just one time revenue.
0: Totally. Okay. And then how do you think about the ontologies? aspect of it. So Nexus Pro members in January, we did a panel with uh, four or five different representatives from the different ontology efforts out there. And there's this kind of this aspect of they're kind of competing, and we're all trying to figure out what's next. And like, how do you, you know, tie your hand to a different, you know, team, basically. And I think people are confused around that, at least I am. So how do you guys approach that topic? It sounds pretty flexible in that you could implement anybody's ontology on it.
1: Yeah, so it's a great question, and we have debated on this quite a bit, right? And ontology, in the end, is a schema, right, of representing information in a certain way, it has semantics to express what it is and so on. Uh, The approach we have taken is our platform, Twinit, should be capable of delivering solutions for different industry segments, different problem sets. It can be for buildings, it can be for highways, it can be for... Hmm water infrastructure, it can be for energy infrastructure. So it is not it is not building-centric uh, alone, right? And the type of problems you're trying to solve, the type of solutions you're, you're going to be able to implement in it is also varied. So we have taken a view that the platform needs to be schema-less. So there is no fixed schema in the platform. Of course, you need a schema to, to build a solution. Every solution will ultimately have a schema to represent it, but it has to be flexible. So depending on what solution you're building, your use cases and your problems that you're trying to solve, uh, your schema will change. The kind of information you will want to represent will change. So, and we allow the ability to build that schema just by scripting your requirement for that data model, right? Okay. That, that's that ties it back to the Twinit uh, DSL and how you use that to build your data model, which is really the primary thing that you've, you that you need to think about when you're building a solution. However, you do want to have the ability to express whatever is your data model for your solution to an industry standard ontology and taxonomy so that other applications who want to interact with you can yep. interact with you in a consistent way, whether you're interacting with a solution built on Twinit or a solution built on something else. So for example, we can transform uh, the data model of, uh, of a digital twin of an airport with a whole bunch of use cases to a real estate core, for example. It may or may not support all of the information that we want to represent, but to the extent that it represents out of the box, it can be, and of course, uh, real estate core can also be enhanced. So the possibility is, is really endless in the sense that you can define the data model that best suits the solution that you are delivering.
0: Hmm. and
1: Build a transformation from that to the desired ontology for you to interact with, uh, with others, if it is needed. If it's not needed, you create your custom object model REST API and make it available for all the integration points that you have. I see. Uh, But you have the flexibility. So it's possible that tomorrow for the infrastructure type of a project, there may be a segment, there may be a different ontology that may be applied. And you want to be able to express your information in whatever appropriate ontology. Cool. Does does that make sense to you, uh, James? You've been talking to a lot of people on this topic. So I'm also curious to know what you think.
0: Yeah. It's similar to a couple episodes back. We had Brian Turner on the podcast and people can go back and listen to that episode. I'm not going to quote him perfectly here, but the way I understood it was he basically sees there being a software layer that does the decoding or you know, translating between different ontologies, depending on what someone wants to enable. So do you want to enable this app to sit on top and that app requires Haystack? Okay, great. I'll represent it in that format for them. Um, and it's the job of the platform in this case to be able to do that translation. And I think that's how several people I've talked to kind of see this going essentially. So you're going to need to be able to ingest different types of data and different schemas and ontologies, and you're going to be able to need to express it in different schemas and ontologies. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So you certainly don't want to build a platform, especially with a restricted approach to one specific schema, which can be uh, quite limiting.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good jumping off point to my next question, which was, how do you see this approach to a digital twin, the imbacara approach, or the Twinit.io approach, which is part of imbacara right? How do you see that as different from other digital twin approaches out there on the marketplace? And why is it better, I guess? Sure.
1: The first is the fact that it's a complete kit of parts. It's not that you have to go to one platform to get your graphics and visualizations done another platform to get your iot and analytics done another platform to do uh, something else so it is one complete kit of parts that helps you to build an end to end solution but you are not necessarily uh, constrained to using that that kit of parts you can also replace functionality within that with something else if you choose to use so in that respect it's uh, we aim to be that unified homogeneous Infrastructure that can deliver value to a to a solution builder. Number one. Second, it's a low-code platform for creating solutions. It's not just a low-code platform to define your data model. It's not just a scripting language for creating your building graph. Uh, but it's it's much more than that. You actually build your your entire solution, including your UI and and all your permissioning and all your role-based interactions on the UI, and everything is defined by scripting language. So it's a true low-code development platform for digital twins. Um, I would say these are the two primary distinguishing factors. And third, of course, is the fact that it is a schema-less platform. So which means you can build a solution for any industry vertical, uh, represent them in different ontologies, build connectors to different data sources and manage them. And maybe if you had to stretch further, it will also be the platform that allows others to monetize their IP, right? So it's, you know, if you are a firm who understands a certain domain very well and you're helping your clients design awesome physical assets, here's an opportunity to translate that into a digital asset and help engage that client and help them optimize how that asset is managed over the lifetime. So it's gonna enable new business models. So in many ways it is unique. Um, I guess it's, for us, the next challenge is the broad adoption of it as an industry platform. Um, uh, We've not seen anything so far that can restrict that from happening. But of course, there's the maturity of the industry and uh, all that to be taken into account.
0: Yeah, speaking as, that's actually leads into my next question as well, around the So I I just wrote this concept of the whole analytics product. So it's not just the software, it's also the ecosystem and the services that are wrapped around it. So that same concept applies here, right? In order for this to scale up, there's going to have to be an ecosystem that develops around it. People that understand how to, you know, implement this scripting language that you talked about. People that understand how to architect these sorts of solutions, people that understand enough about the day-to-day operation of the building to be able to build out use cases, right? So how do you see a, sort of a whole product ecosystem sort of forming around this? Like what's your vision for how that's gonna happen?
1: Yeah, great question. So we are starting, James, with a relatively, in a relatively slow steps, in the sense we are not trying to go to the broad industry and say, okay, sign up and go build your solution on this. We are, we are not there yet. We are beginning to work with what we are terming co-creation partners, who are firms who have a deep understanding about the digital transformation that's happening in the industry, have a stated intent to create and deliver digital print solutions as a business, as a revenue-generating business within their organization. Uh, have a technical team who have the ability to build these solutions and having the desire to also leverage their IP and and build solutions on top and so on and so forth. So we're beginning to work with these partners who are going to be our primary consumers of the platform on one level. We're also beginning to work with a few developers who are, uh, call them Twinit developers, who, who understand the Twinit language, who understand the Twinit architecture who can be guns for hire by some of our partners if they need resources to build stuff quickly on the platform. So we're beginning to develop a services capability within uh, within Twinet. We are also beginning to work with some independent software vendors who, who are very interested in, in leveraging the platform initially to integrate and have information exchange uh, between the solutions built in the platform and their own applications. And some of them are also beginning to look at the, the, the building an application on the platform because everything is a component, even our viewer is a component. So they can take our viewer component, they can take our APIs and effectively either build an application on the platform or rethink their their own existing solution. Even if it's gonna be independent, it can still not just interface with the platform, but actually interact and make use of some other components. So we're beginning to work with uh, uh, some of those partners. So we will see this evolving and growing. It's, as I said, it's still you know, early days. There's only so much we can chew at the moment. They're taking one step at a time. And we are very encouraged with, with the response that we're getting at this, at this point.
0: Very cool. That, that's really the end of my questions around the, the product at this point. Any, any other pieces that we didn't hit?
1: Uh, no, I think, you, I think you did a great, great job, James. I think you covered pretty much all the all the major points that uh, that I could talk about in regards to what we're doing, and uh, and also in regard to Twinet. I guess one of the one of the things I would like to add, though, is the need for the industry to recognize fast the change that's coming. Right? There are many. There's a lot of talk about digital trends. There's a lot of noise around digital trends. Yeah. Um, there's very. There's not enough tangible outcomes as we speak it doesn't match up to the to the noise that you're hearing um that needs to change quickly and i think it will because as the firms in the industry recognize the opportunity and start putting out uh, their own solutions out there competition is going to make everybody else move forward and that's that pressure of time to get your solutions to market to engage your clients better uh, is where trinity is positioned as well so we want to enable others to quickly build solutions and get to their clients and solve problems
0: very cool so with that what are you excited about this year uh, as you guys sort of release this new product yeah so this year is uh, certainly looking to be a
1: big year from multiple perspectives so a number of our projects that we have already initiated are coming to fruition completion delivery Uh, there's a solid pipeline of opportunities that we are working on some really large Uh, We're very excited about that. So we're going to be having a busy year just as a solution provider on the Mm. platform. Um, But equally, you know, the the six, seven engagements we have started on the platform uh, as a service concept, that's also picking up steam. It's sucking up a lot of our engagement time very productively. We're delighted that it is because it has huge potential as well. So 21, we're expecting it to be a, a, a substantial year for the company.
0: Very cool. So my 2021 favorite question is, what's the number one thing you think needs to change to unlock smart buildings?
1: That's a hard one. Too many
0: things. things.
1: I think the number one thing, if I were to put my money on something, uh, asset owners need to recognize the opportunity because the man who writes the check or the woman who writes the check determines what gets done. And they have the power to, to fast track industry change. So it's not new. I mean, it's something which we've been practicing. We've been talking to asset owners directly, especially with owners who are also operators who see the full value of what we are doing. Uh, I think the more they get aware and educated and, and make that call to move forward, put that, you know, you know, not just wait for prove and ROI all the time, you know, but that's you got to take that leap of faith and, and recognize that, you know, digital does bring ROI, but it's only if it's practiced and implemented, get on the bus. Uh, I think that that's really the main thing that's, that should happen in 21.
0: And, and, and I think I know the answer to this question, but I, I think it needs to be spoken a lot more, but like when you talk to an asset owner, building owner, what is the ROI of a digital twin? How do you frame that for them?
1: Yeah, so it's it's a hard one. I mean, we have a benefit statement which identifies various benefits that clearly returns money. Like, there's no question. And it also depends on the persona involved. So if it's a developer, I mean, they see ROI in simply the fact that they can transact better. They can get their asset handed over faster, close transactions, and sell them if it's an asset owner, they can lease them to, to better and more, you know, more attractive tenants in terms of uh, the value they associate with digital buildings. So there is value starting there at a, at a commercial level. And also for funds who, who own properties and uh, where their yield drives their asset value, every half a percentage point improvement in the yield is a 25X result uh, on the asset value. So I think there are many benefits from a from a commercial business point of view. Um, then the question is how much is that ROI? How much is my asset value increase? And that goes into the baseline. I mean, how what's your current you know method of managing your facilities? How well organized is your information? Uh, how capable are your are your people to understand the data and make some sense out of it and act on it? If the baseline is low, the the payback can be massive. I mean, there's there's no question. Hmm. But if it's already well optimized, well-oiled machine, I have a great process yeah definitely your, your your incremental return is going to be lower but still valuable uh, saving in manpower costs straight away is out of the box i mean if you have four people involved in managing a, a building or a set of buildings definitely it's going to save 25% of that of that resource requirement simply because information on your on the tap your contextual information data available to drive your decisions data analyzed to help you interpret so all of that is gonna result in direct outcomes. So when you go through this individual topics, whether it is energy, whether it is asset life, whether it is maintenance costs, every one of them uh, we can walk through and have a discussion to say why the there is a ROI. But are we able to have a firm ROI established and apply that across buildings? That's gonna be hard because no two buildings are the same. No two buildings are gonna be operated the same way. The baselines are gonna be different. So each asset owner will have to make that assessment based on a benefit statement and assessing whether those benefits matter to them and how much.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I've heard some people just take the strategy or begin to take the strategy probably is the better way to say it is. um, We've recognized all of these different buckets and we're just going to unilaterally make the decision to move forward with digital twins. And we know that the ROI is there, whereas I've seen other people try to prove it sort of from the ground up stakeholder by stakeholder by stakeholder. And I think that there's different opinions on which way to go at this point, but very interesting. Thank you for naming all of those.
1: But, but I do think James, just to add to that, I do think you know, theoretical assessments of this are not gonna get the outcomes they are looking for. They need to get their feet wet, get on the bus, experience it. That's the only way.
0: That's a great place to end off. Thank you, Anand, for, for the education and uh, good luck. Thanks for the opportunity, James. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart buildings industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.